0: We are in the second week of a series titled Making the Most of Christmas. We started that off last week, and uh, the whole idea is really simple. Uh, we'll dive into it again, just kind of catch you up a little bit. But but there's some tension around Christmas, if we're aware of it, if we'll be present to it. We will see that, that there's some tension. If, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you've given your life to Him, and you're seeking to follow Him wholeheartedly, uh, sometimes there's some tension around Christmas because we celebrate in the midst of a culture that doesn't always believe what we believe. And, and whether they're passively indifferent to it or actively opposed to it, culture can bring some tension around Christmas. And we feel that. We sense that. Maybe uh, moving from culture into our own family, we may be celebrating Christmas with people who don't believe the things that we believe. And, and uh, sometimes that creates some tension. Or even the traditions that were established and initially intended to point us to Christ and point us to the good news of Him coming to be God with us. Even those traditions sometimes can become a distraction from the thing they were meant to point us to in the first place. So there's a little bit of tension around Christmas. And We are reminded as his people that we are to be in the world, but not necessarily of the world. That that our identity and our forever home is in heaven with Christ. And so we need to be here. We can't withdraw completely and be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. But at the same time, we can't be so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good. So we live in this tension between two worlds, between the now of this present world and this present reality and the not yet of our eternal destiny in heaven for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. And so we sort of have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, and we seek to be a bridge from the world into the kingdom for the people that we interact with. And that is where we come to this idea of making the most of Christmas. We started last week in Colossians chapter 3, or I'm sorry, chapter 4. And you might think, well, Colossians, that's an odd place to, to be coming at the Christmas story from. But it'll make sense in a minute if you weren't here last week. And uh, if not, we're, we're breaking this down each week, seeking to make the most of Christmas. So let's read this passage as Paul is sort of wrapping up his letter to the church in Colossae. That's why we call it Colossians. Uh, he says these words to the church that gathered there. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful We really wanted to hone in on this series, to make the most of every opportunity, because Christmas is a tremendous opportunity. It's a tremendous opportunity to point people to Christ, because the entire country is thinking about Christmas in one way or another. It's unavoidable. And so we have an opportunity to point people to Christ in that way. Last week, we looked at this exhortation to pray with a message titled, Pray Constantly. And the big idea or the bottom line last week was that praying constantly opens our eyes to see what God wants us to see. And that's one way that we can make the most of Christmas. We saw that uh, lived out in the Christmas story with the the prophetess Anna and how she had stayed in the church fasting and praying, praying constantly. And she was there when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to be dedicated and to be uh, committed to the Lord because she was praying constantly, she saw what God wanted her to see. And we looked at three different ways to pray last week, to be watchful, to be thankful, and to intercede, to, to pray intercessory prayers, to lift others up to God. So if you missed that message, that's just a Cliff Notes review. You can always go to our website, linwoodchurch.org, and click on the media tab, and the messages are there. We usually upload them on Monday or Tuesday, and you can listen again, or you can listen if you miss a week, or you can share it with a friend. Today, we're going to consider what Paul asked them to pray for. When we we talk about intercessory prayer, there were two things in particular that Paul asked the church to pray for. The first is that there would be an open door for the message of the mystery of Christ. We see that in verse 3. Pray for an open door for the message of the mystery of Christ. And second thing that he asked them to pray for was to pray for Paul. That he would proclaim it clearly, that he would proclaim that message, that mystery of Christ clearly. And this Monday, as I was praying through the sanctuary in preparation for this week, I felt the Spirit nudging me to make a similar request to, to those that were in our prayer ministry and, and on our local board of administration here. And I sent them an email, and I basically asked for the same things. I prayed, asked them to pray for an open door and open hearts, that there would be people here today maybe who have never heard the gospel or haven't heard it in a long time or have misunderstood what it's all about and that there would be an open door that the message of Christ, of God's unconditional love for his people, would be received. And second, that I would proclaim it clearly, as I should. Stepping into this moment, I wanted to know that people had been praying for me all week to proclaim the good news, the gospel, clearly, as I should. And so we're going to look at those two things today, we're going to see how they come to life in the story of Christmas. So if you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, if you've got one of the pew Bibles that are in the seat in front of you, that's on page 1591. If you have a Bible with you that you brought with you, or you like to look on on an app on your phone or something, that's fine too. But turn to Luke chapter 2. And the message today is titled, Proclaim Christ Clearly. The first was to pray constantly. The second week. Today, we're talking about proclaiming Christ clearly. Next week, we'll talk about acting wisely. And finally, going into Christmas dinner, we'll talk about speak graciously. Speak graciously. So that's kind of a roadmap for where we're going today. And as we look at this passage, we see the message of Christmas distilled into just a few verses. And so I want to read verses 8 through 14 of Luke chapter 2 to you. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. This is the message of Christmas. And when we talk about evangelizing, the word evangelize, right in the middle of it, is the word angel. Have you ever noticed that? If you write it out, E-V-A-N-G-E-L-I-Z-E, angel. That is what it means to evangelize, is to, to be a messenger of the good news, of the mystery of Christ. And the first evangelists of the Christmas story were these angels sent by God to shepherds. Not to those in high and lofty places in society, but to the shepherds out in the field. And they came with a message of good news. And I want to look at that message today because it is the message of Christmas. In verse 10, we see that it is a message of good news, of great joy for all the people. For all the people. There is nothing to fear in the presence of this good news of great joy for all the people. And then in verse 14, we see the words that they close with, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. You want to know the message of Christmas? It's our bottom line today because Christmas is all about God's glory and your peace. Christmas is all about God's glory and your peace. And I want to look at those two things today and consider what our response is to the message of Christmas. First, Christmas is all about God's glory. You see, God's really into His glory, but He's not into His glory the way that you and I might be into our own glory. There's nothing conceited about God's obsession with His glory. God is into His glory because He knows that His glory is the one thing that living for it will bring you lasting satisfaction. He knows that anything else that we put on the pedestal or we put on the throne of our lives, anything other than His glory is going to leave us wanting more, wanting something, wanting what we're missing, which is to live for God's glory. God is into His glory because He knows that we were hardwired to seek glory in some form or fashion. The heart of humanity is seeking glory either for itself for the things of this world, the things of creation, or we can seek God's glory. But we are seeking glory. In fact, there was a quote from Paul David Tripp, who's a pastor that I pay attention to, and I read a devotional of his. And this is what he says. It's on the screen behind me so you can follow along. This is really important that we understand this as we consider that Christmas is about God's glory. It says, "...we human beings were hardwired for glory." This means that we are always living in pursuit of some kind of glory. Either our hearts have been captured by the temporary glories of the created world, or by grace they have been captured by the eternally satisfying glory of God. We are working for our own glory, pursuing some created glory, or living for God's glory. But we are always living for glory. Jesus came to liberate us from our addictions to glories that will never satisfy our hearts. He came to free us from our bondage to our own glory. He willingly died for glory thieves, that's us, so that we would find our satisfaction in Him and live in service of the glory of God. Jesus not only revealed God's glory on earth, He died so that God's glory would be the final resting place of our hearts. You see, you're hardwired to seek glory. The question is, will you seek your own glory, will you seek the glory of the world around you in possessions and experiences, or will you seek God's glory with your life? Living for our own glory will never satisfy us. It opens us up to all kinds of appetites, and those appetites are never fully and finally satisfied apart from Christ apart from God when we choose to live for any other glory than God's glory we find ourselves coming up short but living for God's glory that that will eternally satisfy us When we make our lives about pointing people to Christ, about reflecting His glory into this world, about glorifying God with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions, with the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our money, the way that we invest our resources and our abilities and our skills back into His kingdom that other people would know that there is a God who loves them and is crazy about them and has literally come to earth to bring them to Him in heaven that is what brings lasting satisfaction. Nothing else will. Nothing else will. And if you've, if you've lived on this earth and you've spent some time pursuing glory other than God's glory, you know that it leaves you short. It comes up short every single time. But everything that we invest into the kingdom of God, every time that we put His glory first, every time that we choose to live for His glory instead of our own, we find a satisfaction that that is apart from the nature of this world that is different than the way that the world meets us in those times. And that's the invitation, that's the message of Christmas, is to give glory to God in the highest. And what was the other? And it's about your peace. Christmas is about God's glory and it's about your peace. I want to spend the rest of our time talking about your peace. Because just like We are hardwired to live for God's glory and to find our satisfaction in that. We find our peace in the pursuit of God, and the pursuit of His glory. Christmas, Jesus came for your peace, for your peace. We see that in the final phrase of verse 14. And peace on earth to the men upon whom His favor rests. The peace that Jesus came to bring us comes in three forms. It comes in three forms at Christmas. First, there is peace with God. Jesus came that you might have peace with God. Romans 5.1 tells us that we are justified through faith and that that justification through faith brings us peace with God. Peace with God. That, That once we were at enmity with God. You see, when we're seeking Our glory or the glory of the world around us instead of God's glory, that puts us at odds with God. And Jesus came that we would be at peace with God, that we would be justified through faith in Jesus Christ and that we would then know peace with God and not have to fear God in the sense that he's going to get us if we don't shape up and act right but instead we can have peace with God and we can join him in his redemptive mission in the world, that we can be ministers of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It's when we find peace, when we reconcile other people to God. We find peace with God. Second, we find peace with ourselves. You find peace with yourself in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Peace with your regrets. Peace with the things that you wish you had done differently. Things with the Peace with the things that have separated you from God and from other people. We find peace with ourselves. And Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the interesting thing about that, if you go back and you read the last paragraph of Romans chapter 7, it's this conversation between Paul with himself. And he says, the good things that I want to do, I don't do them. And the bad things that I don't want to do, that's exactly what I do. And he's having this conversation in his head. And then he says, who is going to save me from this body of death? Praise be to God through Christ Jesus. Praise be to God through Christ Jesus. Jesus brings you peace with yourself. Does anybody else ever have a conversation like that with yourself? Does anybody else find that sometimes the worst critic is the one that lives inside your head and doesn't be quiet even when you tell them to and you can't leave them behind, you can't close the door on them, and they just chatter away at you? I read a book once called Crash the Chatterbox, and it referred to that voice in our head as the chatterbox. And sometimes we just have to crash the chatterbox with the truth that Jesus Christ came to bring us peace within ourselves, a clear conscience and a settledness. That means we don't have to be anxious about eternity, that there is peace within ourselves. And finally, Jesus came that you might have peace with others, that you might have peace with your husband or your wife, with your children, with your parents, with your co-workers, with your friends and your family. Jesus came that there would be peace among all of us, with God, with ourselves, and with each other. Just a few verses earlier than the passage that we're looking at in Colossians chapter 4, Paul says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Jesus Christ came at Christmas, came and became God with us, came and lived a perfect sinless life, and died a horrible death on the cross, so that we could have peace with God, peace within ourselves, peace with each other. And that is the message of Christmas. That is the good news of Christmas. And the symbol of Christianity, the cross that awaited him 33 years after his birth into this world, reminds us of that peace that he came to bring, the vertical position of the cross. If you look at this cross right above me, that's representing our vertical relationship with God, Jesus came to bring peace between God and man, peace between you and God. And then the horizontal is our relationships with each other. The cross piece is our relationships with each other. And the middle, where they intersect, that's you, that's your heart. Jesus came to bring peace into each of those areas at Christmas. Christmas is all about God's glory and your peace. And Jesus was very clear. That he came to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save those who were far off. To seek and to save those who weren't in church on a Sunday morning on a regular basis. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. In fact, the angel told Joseph in Matthew one eighteen, he said that he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save people, to save you, to save me from the penalty of our sins. He came to save the person in your chair from the penalty of your sins. Because part of the good news is the bad news that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there's not a person who has ever lived or whoever will live that lives up to the glorious standards of God's requirement other than Jesus Christ. And so the one person who could say, Who could make that claim was Jesus Christ, that they lived a perfect, sinless life. The rest of us have fallen short, and Jesus came to save us from the penalty of our sins. In theology, we call this substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement, two big words that have a really simple meaning. What's a substitute? Substitute. It's the person that comes in place of another, right? When you're in school, you like to substitute teacher unless they were a mean substitute teacher, right? You like to substitute teacher because the teacher was gone and you might get away with something, You might get, but the, that was the person that came as a substitute. Some of you use sugar substitutes, right? So it's something that takes the place of sugar. And whenever you have a substitute, it's something that takes the place of another. So when we talk about substitutionary atonement, Jesus came to be the substitute For our atonement. And our atonement is the paying the penalty of our sins. So the way that this should have worked before Christ came was I paid the penalty for my sins. Right? And you paid the penalty for your sins. But Jesus came and the message of Christmas and the good news of Christmas and the message of the mystery of Christ that Paul asked them to pray for was the good news that Jesus came to be your substitute and to pay the penalty of your sins for you. If I go home on 57th here and I decide to go 60 miles an hour and a cop finds me and pulls me over and writes me a ticket, I'm going to have to go and atone for breaking the law and going 60 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour speed zone. Everybody follow? But if my buddy Mark over there goes down and pays the ticket for me, then that's substitutionary atonement, right? Because he has atoned for the penalty of my sin. I'm not going to do that. I don't advise that you do that either. But it it clarifies the example of what is taking place when Jesus takes our place. Because Romans 6.23 is crystal clear that the wages of sin is death. That when you sin, that sin separates you from God. And the wages or the earnings of that sin is death. Eternal death. Not just death one time, but death for eternity. Darkness for eternity. Heat and unquenchable thirst for eternity. It's a very serious thing. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's the second half of the verse. And that's the message of Christmas. It's for God's glory because God is glorified when we come to him. God is glorified when we accept the gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we receive peace. We receive peace with God. We receive peace with each other. And we receive peace with ourselves. And that is the good news of Christmas, that Jesus took what we deserved so that we could have what only he deserved. Jesus took what we deserved. He paid the penalty for our sin so that we could receive what only he deserved, what only he earned. And he did it for God's glory, and he did it for your peace. And today is a special day. Today is a day where we are celebrating with those who have said, I believe in that. I believe all of that is true. And I receive the gift of God's grace. And not only that, but I'm willing to make a public profession of that faith that I've placed in Jesus Christ. Today we get to celebrate with those who are following our Lord in baptism. We're getting to celebrate with those who are standing before this congregation and making a stand for Jesus, and saying, I believe, I make a public profession of faith. And I can tell you, I've been praying for this day. I've been praying for this day since the first time I came into the sanctuary on the weekend that I candidated here back in February, in early February, coming up on a year. And I stopped by that baptistry, and I put my hand on the cover over it, and I said, God, I'm praying that this tank is filled often and that people step forward and make public professions of their faith and give witness and testimony to what God is doing in their lives and that it spreads like wildfire. And then every week, every single week since I've gotten here, I've prayed through this sanctuary. And I've stopped at that baptistry and I've prayed. And a couple of times I've been a little discouraged. I'm like, God, I've been here three months. We haven't baptized anybody. Remember how I've been praying? But I just kept praying, just kept praying, just kept praying. And then a few weeks ago, Pastor Zach said, this is so exciting. We've got, we've got three people that want to be baptized in our youth group. And I was like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then a week or two later, he said, yeah, we're got out, and now a couple more want to. And, and I've been meeting with them and sitting with them and meeting with their parents, and and, and now there's, there's six people that want to be baptized. And this, this past Wednesday, we had three of those people baptized and one more jumped on and decided to be baptized as well on Wednesday. And there are three more being baptized today, and another person has stepped forward and said, I want to be baptized. And just like that, it's happening. It's happening. And I believe there may be someone here today who has never stepped forward, never made a public profession of their faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe mom and dad did it when you were one or two years old. That was part of my story. I was baptized at a very young age in a Methodist church, and there was nothing wrong with that. But when I was 21 years old, my wife and I were, God was coming alive in our hearts, and and things were starting to happen, and within a few years, I realized I needed to be baptized. I needed to step forward and make a public profession of my faith in Jesus Christ, and we did that. And it was an extremely powerful and profound experience for us. And so if you've never experienced that, I would encourage you, today could be the day that you make the most of Christmas this year by stepping forward and being baptized. We have extra clothes you can change into before or after you get baptized. Don't let any of the logistics be the thing that holds you up. And don't let it be something that that the enemy would set in front of you that would say, no, I'm not going to get baptized today. I need to clean up my act a little bit better. That's kind of like saying, well, I'll start taking the medicine that's going to cure my disease when I start feeling a little better. It's the medicine that's going to help you in that case. And this is the thing that's going to bring you into that transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, if you choose to step forward and to make a public profession of your faith, you can join us. You can join us. And you're not saying I'm perfect. You're not saying that I've never sinned. We all know that's not the case. And you're not saying that I'm living a sinless life right now. But you are saying that I'm accepting the gift of God, the grace of God, and I'm receiving that this Christmas. And I'm putting my faith in that, that Jesus will be the substitute, the substitutionary atonement for my sin. And you're saying that you're going to make him Lord of your life, that you're going to affirm That He is the Son of God, that He died for your sins, that He rose from the grave, and that He's coming back to get us. Just what we sang about right before the message here. That we believe in Christ the Son, we believe in God the Father, we believe in the Holy Spirit We believe in the resurrection. We believe these things. These are the cornerstones of our faith. And today you can step forward and you can make that proclamation and you can make a commitment to put him and his will at the center of your life. And if that's you, then today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day that you step forward in baptism. Today can be the day for you. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to sing a closing song in a few moments, and it's all about the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. We're going to prepare those who have already stepped forward in baptism, and and we're going to uh, celebrate with them following that song. During that song, we're going to have our children's ministry come in because we want to expose them to, to the, the wonders of baptism, and they're probably going to crowd in right around in this area down here and maybe sit on the floor or something so they can see. So don't let that distract you from what's taking place here. We want them to be a part of it. We talk about being a family of families here at Linwood all the time, and we want the whole family together as we celebrate this baptism service, okay? So if you want to be baptized today and you haven't already communicated that to us, I want you to meet me back here by this door. I'll be standing back there. If you've got questions, I'd be happy to visit with you briefly about those questions. If you know that today's the day, if you know that you have been committed to Christ, but you've never made that public, then I want you to meet me back here. And we'll go through the logistics. We'll figure it out. And at the close of that song, we're going to celebrate. And And just in case you're wondering if it's okay to clap and cheer and go nuts when those people come up out of the water, I want to let you know it's perfectly fine to do that. Scripture tells us that there is more rejoicing going on in heaven over one lost sinner who repents than over the rejoicing of of a woman who finds a coin, over a son who returns to his father, over a farmer who loses a lost sheep. There's rejoicing in heaven today, and there ought to be rejoicing at Linwood Wesleyan Church today. So I want you to pray with me, and then we'll respond in faith to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. We thank you and praise you that that Christmas is about your glory. First and foremost, help us not to get distracted. But it's also about our peace, Lord. And so today, I pray that those who have heard the message, who believe that it's true, will respond in faith and place their hope and their trust in you and in you alone for their salvation. Lord, for those who have already committed to be baptized, I thank you and praise you for that step. I pray your blessing and your protection and your provision for them. And for all of us, Lord, may we not forget that Christmas is about your glory and it's about our peace. Help us to make the most of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.